Greg Popovich. Played very well tonight. Great team defense. Did a good job. Kobe Bryant. I could not wait to get back on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook to talk to you, the basketball fan, college fan, pro fan. That's why I'm here, and basketball is hood. And we are brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. I am Jonathan Hood. I will return to the morning show with David Kaplan, Cap and Jay Hood, on the 1st of April. We'll be together and we will be on our show 7 to 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN 1000. And please download the ESPN Chicago app in case you miss our podcast. Also, you can catch this podcast on Spotify as well. That way you never miss an episode. Check it out on the ESPN Chicago app or on Spotify. That way you never, never miss our basketball content because we do this for you, the basketball fan. So you know how we do this. We start off with the Bulls, and then we go around the NBA. We're going to hear from our guy, Nick Friedel, who covers the NBA for ESPN.com. Look forward to talking to my dude about what's going on in the NBA. But first, the Bulls. So here I am, right, driving down south on my vacation and realizing, oh, my God, it's the NBA trade deadline. And I'm thinking, oh, it's the Bulls. You know, they might not be doing anything. And they did a lot, actually. I have to reset myself as an NBA and Bulls guy to realize that Karnaschovas and Eversley, they mean business. And they certainly did at the tr- deadline on the 25th of March. And they, they, they meant some real business. So acquiring Nick Vucevic and Al Farouk Aminu from Orlando and trading Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr. in two first-round picks and... Uh, certain lottery positions as far as their protections, man, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, Daniel Gafford no longer with the team. There are some moves that were made by the Bulls that were very, very interesting. And if you missed the last podcast, where were you? You've got to download and subscribe to this podcast. Let me just go through it again. So clearly this is a different Bulls organization because if this is Garn Foreman or if this is John Paxson, they're probably holding their cards. They're probably the most boring people in the world to play cards with, right? I don't care what we're talking about. They're probably holding their cards like I fold, I fold, I fold, because more times than not, they did fold as a franchise, deciding not to try to get better incrementally. But the Bulls realize, I think, that what I realize, and maybe you as well, is that this season is not necessarily about making a deep, long playoff run. What this is about is the opportunity for you to get better and find another all-star next to Zach Levine. I think that's very clear. You had to find another star next to Zach Levine, and the Bulls were able to do that. So Nick Vucevic, a guy that is an automatic 20-10 and every night, he's done that for a while, especially with bad teams. So he does. here he is with the Bulls. They need to have someone that can be able to score from the foul line down. Zach Levine's got the outside covered. Now you got someone inside, and Vucevic also can be able to step out and hit the three. I just like the production that he can provide. So 
those are two pieces solidified. The Bulls took care of the draft pick with Patrick Williams from Florida State. And so that's three. So now you're trying to figure out who is your power forward for the future and who, and most importantly, is your lead guard for the future. Thomas Sadoransky is not the lead guard for the future. He's just a guy and a guy that can hold it down for the short term. But you got to find that guy for the long haul. And so with him along with Thaddeus Young, Thaddeus Young is my second favorite player on the team. I've said this many times in the podcast. I like Thaddeus Young a lot. Uh, because he just gives you a veteran presence. He's not trying to do anything besides give you close to a double-double every night, just giving you a veteran-like effort, and I like that. And so from Karnaschovas' standpoint, from Eversley's standpoint, they looked at this team, and they were like, okay, we have got to get rid of some of these guys that thought that they were owed playing time. Like, the you know, the Gaffords and the Wendell Carter Juniors, Otto Porter Juniors, you got to get rid of those guys. God bless Wendell Carter Jr. He can never stay healthy. Every season he's in the Bulls uniform, he kept getting hurt. And then you start to see the confidence just waning in him with every shot that he'd miss from the outside. You can't have dudes that are young players that don't have the bravado to beat their chest and say, okay, I had a bad game tonight, but I'm going to have a better game tomorrow. You have to be someone that's into it and realize, hey, man, I've been injured a lot. I just got to get my rhythm. You got to convince not only yourself but the coaching staff that I can be a cornerstone player for this team for the future. Wendell Carter Jr. didn't have that. And the Bulls saw that in the short term. They're like, nah, this is not the guy. And so they made the switch, and it was like, damn. Like, I saw it. Maybe you saw it. But then to see what happened there, it was like, wow, that was pretty quick, right? Really swift action, I thought, by uh, the Bulls. And then you got Otto Porter Jr. You know, the Bulls tried to find that big fish, and they got the third best player from the Washington Wizards that was along with Wall and Beal, and it didn't work out well for them. Uh, and Otto Porter Jr., again, a guy that was hurt, not, not around very often. You don't know what he could have really done if he would have played a full complement of games with this young core. It was an opportunity. Op- you know, when you think about it, it was an opportunity for Otto Porter Jr. to really stretch out and say, I'm not held down by Beal and Wall. I can be able to get my buckets too. I'm going to show you what I can do. And it just never happened because he wasn't available. And so I, I totally get that. And so I'm happy that the Bulls made those moves because it just shows you, and I think this is for any team, right? Any team that you root for, you just want to see whether or not management, decision makers, see what you see as a fan. And so as much as I saw Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., it was just like, nah. You know, the Gaffords of the world that was on this roster, it was time to move off of some of these the players that just were not really part of the future. Now, I hope that Laurie Markkinen was watching because Laurie Markkinen now is coming off the bench. And Kobe White, when he comes back off of his injury that he's day-to-day, uh, he also will be seeing himself on the bench. And so for Billy Donovan, a guy with stroke, because he has been there and done that as a head coach in this league, not only in college, but also in the pros, he sees this Bulls team and says, yeah, you know, I think that Zach could be the long-term guy for the Bulls along with Busevich and along with Patrick Williams, but we got to do more. Now, how about this other deal in which Tice comes to the Bulls? 
I've been watching Tice uh, with the Celtics for a couple of years, and what I like about him is that he provides a little strength, a little muscle uh, down low for the Bulls. One thing for sure is just they just have not been able to find the ways to be able to be more physical inside. I think they kind of wanted that from Wendell or wanted it from some of the other guys. Bulls are just not that physical. And so Tice can bring that. He can score a little bit as far as him giving you about 9, 10 points a game. He can give you that. He can give you some rebounds. And that's you got to get the tough rebound in there as well. But this big German, the, the guy from Germany, his third season, has the opportunity here to just be part of this team, a piece of this team. It's no surprise that Karnaschovas, who was able to find Jokic in the draft, can identify international players and say, these guys are fundamentally sound. These guys can be able to pay dividends for our team because he did that with Denver. When Karnaschovas was in Denver and got Jokic, Jokic now is in the line for the MVP this year because he's been that good, that consistent over and over again. And so when, when Tice is on this team, Tice is not a guy that's going to just win you a whole bunch of games, but just the, the intangibles, the little things, the, the, the edge that Tice can bring as far as some physicality, that's something that the Bulls needed for a long time. So the Bulls are losers seven out of their last ten. So when I'm looking at this team and seeing what they have not done, I look at it, the team now is like, boy, if they make the playoffs, even with maybe an extra team out of the East, I think it'll be very interesting and not what I expected because the Bulls coming into Wednesday night's game, they're taking on a very sound Phoenix team that's won over 30 games. And so the Bulls are a seven and a half point underdog against Monty Williams, Phoenix Suns. I see it on DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. Um, so I just look at it like this. The Bulls have to stay connected and figure out who they want to be for the rest of the season because when I look at the playoffs, if the Bulls make it, that's great. If they don't, that's great also because I think with these moves that the Bulls have made, having Tice on the team, being able to have Vucevic, I don't see the Bulls being a big team that's in the mix in the summer. I think that their summer pick happened in March, and that is Vucevic. So I'm just bracing you now that when we get to free agency outside of a piece or two, I don't see the Bulls taking a big swing. I, I don't know, it, since I've been off, I don't know if anyone's mentioned that, but I think that that's going to be the case. Having Vucevic on the team, a guy that is a at the very least, the number three piece offensively for this Bulls team, I think that the Bulls have... Uh, stop themselves from being a big fish in free agency. I don't. I don't see that. Obviously, if they really believe that Levine is part of their future, Levine's going to be part of the team. So him, Vucevic, Patrick Williams. Now you still got to figure out who your lead guard is going to be, uh, and then from there. If you have two trade chips, if you're going to do that, you have two. You have Kobe White and you have Laurie Markkinen. I for some reason I don't see Markkinen being here for the long haul. I don't see it. Uh, and maybe that's where you get your point guard. Maybe that's where you get your extra offense. But just remember, in this league, you need three, right? And so it's important for the three to, to be part of this Bulls team in order for them to be a real contender in the Eastern Conference. It's Giannis on the top. It's Brooklyn on the top. You know, teams like that. 
Uh, Atlanta's getting better. There's a number of other teams like Philadelphia that's very good as well. How do the Bulls fit in that for the future? That's a big question. Let's get to this. Because over the break, I've noticed that there's been a lot of conjecture, hand-wringing as usual, when teams try to build a super team, right? So it all started with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving coming together at Brooklyn. And just the idea that Kevin Durant, you know, he's available and he goes to Brooklyn and he's going to be with Kyrie. And we wondered, what's that one-two punch going to be like? Then you add Joe Harris, who's great from three-point range. Okay, so you got KD, Kyrie, you got Harris, you got a few others that can really pay dividends for the Nets in first-year coach Steve Nash. And so all of a sudden, James Harden makes noise. And James Harden's like, I do not want to be in Houston anymore. And poor Houston boy, they're like, they got 13 wins this season. Harden leaves, Oladipo's gone. And so this team is just done, right? It's just falling flat. But Harden leaves. And people say, dude, you're in a nightclub without a mask. Why don't don't you care about the Houston team? He pretty much quit on Houston in a press conference. We played earlier in, in episodes of this podcast for you. What Harden said about Houston bounces, goes to Brooklyn. Harden's played so well for the Brooklyn Nets. Dude could be MVP this year. What a story that would be, right? He is in Houston. He gets him a little pot belly from being out in the strip clubs and having those chicken over that little chicken overnight. I know about that a little bit. And then he works his way back into shape with Brooklyn. And dude could be MVP. Wouldn't that be something? So James Harden's there. And then Blake Griffin, not doing anything in Detroit, he gets traded. And now LaMarcus Aldridge is now part of the Brooklyn Nets. Now, on the surface, average basketball fan at the barbershop is like, what the hell is this, man? What kind of shit is this? How is now LaMarcus Aldridge, who, in which it just never worked out with him in San Antonio. It just There was just a disconnect between Aldridge and Pop. It was never going to be the seamless transition of Duncan to Robinson to Aldridge. Aldridge just was not that kind of player. Uh, even though he was solid as a number two with Lillard in Portland, it just wasn't going to work out, right? So now LaMarcus Aldridge is there, and people are up in arms. Like, like I saw my, my friend Stephen A. Smith, me, ESPN, is like, man, are, just, are they trying to buy their way to a championship? Are they trying to get a championship? Well, well yeah. Yeah, that's what organizations do. They try to stockpile talent, as much talent as possible, get an opportunity to win a championship, and then hopefully you win it. You want to be as close to trying to beat LeBron as possible. I don't know why this does not make sense to people. It's pretty simple. This is not the 80s and 90s where you could force your way out. Players would have been blackballed if they would have forced their way out on a regular basis in the 80s and 90s. And so I'm directing this to 80s, 90s basketball fan. The reason why you don't like it is more than likely is because LaMarcus Aldridge or James Harden or Russell Westbrook or whomever are not trying to force their way out to come play for your favorite team. If it's your favorite team, you're good with it. Would you say if LaMarcus Aldridge came to the Bulls, for instance, he came to Chicago, he says, yeah, I really want to play for the Bulls. Would you say, well, I don't like him because he forced his way out of San Antonio. You'd be like, no, all in. You'd hike your, you'd hike your pants and skirt and everything else up to bring him in, right? Everything. And, and so the idea that people get pissed off that players want to be able to go from place to place. The reason why they want that is because LeBron opened the door for those players. LeBron opened the door for those players. So 
it's just like anything else. And I will, I will compare apples to pomegranates only in this regard. Imagine if you are working someplace in which there's a ceiling on your career. There's a ceiling on you. No matter how, how hard you worked in that office, no matter how hard you work, you know there's a ceiling to your success in the office. And you say, I'll never be able to get above this from a financial standpoint, from a status standpoint. I've got to go someplace else. That's what you got to be thinking. Where else can I go? You're on LinkedIn. You're talking to people. How can I go into a different either vocation or from or in your same job, but just in a different office? You're doing what you can to be able to win. And so you want to win at life. I want to win at life. These players want to win championships. They have money. They have more money than you and I will ever see. And so why begrudge a a common player or a solid player in the NBA and say, yeah, I want to go someplace else to win a championship because why else do you go into sports? You go in it to win a championship. So I don't begrudge players that say, you know what? There's a ceiling here or the GM, I don't trust him. I want to go someplace else. You just don't stay in a job because they don't because you're not happy with it, right? If you're staying in a job you're not happy with it, then what are you doing? And so I, I don't understand the common NBA fans like, ah, oh, now Aldridge, now you're gonna build a super team. If it was your team, you'd be good with it. All it is is NBA jealousy. There's plenty of that in the league. I'm happy for the Nets. Will they win a championship? No. But make sure we know the bottom line of this. Teams want to stack up as much as possible to try to beat LeBron. That's why LeBron's like, come on, Andre Drummond, come with me. You know, with AD being out, why don't you come to the Lakers? This is why LeBron is openly trying to man up, saying, like, I can give you 35 points a game. doesn't mean I'm going to win it championship after championship. It takes a team. And you want to get the best team possible to win a championship. If it was for your team, you'd be good with it. But if you're on the outside looking in saying, oh, Brooklyn, this is bogus. Lakers, this is bogus. Well, this is what negotiation is all about. Why wouldn't you want to have the best players on your team to win a championship, number one? Number two, why would you want to stay in a spot like Detroit and not win? Be in a spot like Houston and not win. You want to increase your chances to win a championship. You know why? Because the media and fans like you and me are looking at certain players and are like, yeah, he was a good player, but he never won a ring. Well, what do you think players are trying to do? They're trying to win a ring. I don't blame them for that. And there he is, Nick Friedel, who covers the NBA for ESPN, ESPN.com. My friend joins me here on ESPN 1000 and the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. Hello, Nick. Hello, my man. Well, you saw the Bulls up and close uh, as they took on Golden State. Uh, before I ask you about the Warriors, what did you think of the new-look Bulls? They're going to be better. And really, I've always liked Vucevic. Uh, I like his game. I think he fits in with what they've got, with what they're trying to build with Zach. Uh, the issue to me is when you look at that team, uh, to me, I can always speak for myself, I do not look at, at a team that I believe has any shot to win a title. And maybe that's a little unfair after a couple games. And, okay, let's see what happens a year from now, et cetera, et cetera. My point has always been the Bulls. And, yes, Garn Pax were there then. And Karnasovis and Mark Eversley are here now. I get it. But the Bulls, as far as I know, Hoodie, tell me if I'm wrong, the ownership hasn't changed since, <laughs> since I left. 
It's Mike Reinsdorf running the day-to-day, and it's Jerry, his dad, who is still overseeing all of it. The whole point in trading Jimmy Butler, and I know that Mike Reinsdorf was a big fan, is a big fan of Jimmy Butler, was because the Bulls did not feel like Jimmy was the face of a title team and were sick of the idea that they were going to get to the first round or maybe win a first-round series and then get bounced out. The stated goal was they wanted to win a title. And maybe that's still the stated goal now. Okay. But I, I that's the part that, that gets me is because you're looking at this Bulls team and you're going, okay, you just traded your, your picks for the next couple of years. And you got Vucevic and he's on a nice deal. And Levine uh, has proven me wrong in, in living up to and past this current deal he's on. But it's setting up for Zach Levine to get a $200 million extension. Depending on what they do, there are cap ramifications this summer. They could give him uh, a raise and essentially turn it into like a four for 160 uh, deal heading into the future. But now this is your team. Zach Levine, Vucevic, and we'll see what happens with marketing. I don't think he's here for the long haul, but you know maybe they can get somebody else. But Hoodie, when you look at that team and, and Pat Williams – you know, okay, we'll see what what kind of player he turns into. He's shown some promise. I, I do not see in any way a title contender. So, what I would tell Bulls fans is, it seems like everything has changed. It seems like the Bulls got so sick of losing, 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 being irrelevant these last few years since the Jimmy deal that they went, all right, I'm, we're sick of this. Let's win some games and, and see if we can uh, string a few nice seasons together. But that is absolutely a shift from where things were a few years ago. Because if you wanted to be potentially a second round and out team, you still could have re-signed Jimmy for that super max of, I think it was like $224 million over five years. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy wanted to stay and wanted to recruit. Uh, so I, I just feel like you've got a diluted version of, of of what uh, you could have had, you're you're building up right now what you tore down a few seasons ago. I would say that yes, indeed, that you know Reinsdorf is still in place, but you can see that there is a a difference in philosophy. If this is uh, last week, about maybe a year ago, two years ago, the Bulls would have just held their cards, Nick. They, mm-hmm. they they wouldn't have been in this, and so so what you have to do is, I think any team would look at this and say, okay. Who is really part of our future? Keep in mind, like, everyone's not blessed to be Brooklyn to have everybody, right, in place. You know, everybody can't be Brooklyn or the Lakers and make moves, wholesale changes to try to get better right away. What I'm telling you is, is that for the Bulls, from their standpoint, I think that getting Vucevic is someone's going to give you a 20 and 10 every night. And they needed to have someone along with Levine that can actually score. You were going to get that for Wendell Carter Jr., you weren't going to get that from Otto Porter Jr., so you had to do something. So I like that they were able to do that. And then your third choice there with Patrick Williams, he's still a rookie, plays well. But I, what I said earlier, Nick, on the show is I think that when you pick up Tice, when you have Vucevic in place, that means that you shot up your summer. Like those, That's your summer as far as big-name free yeah. agents. That I think that's mm-hmm. it. Like Don't come to the summer and think, okay, now it's free agency time for the Bulls. Their big fish was Vucevic, which I have no problem with. But let's, let's like any other team in the league, 
you've got to be able to build and start having a foundation towards something. I think the Bulls are on the right track. And and I would agree with you on that in that uh, the, the new front office is trying to be aggressive. I respect that, Hoodie. Uh, and, and they do deserve time to to see what else can happen. Uh, it's just, to me, it, 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 you're just kind of moving uh, moving the deck chairs around. Because if you we're evaluating what the old front office did, the old front office said, all right, we're going to build through the draft. We're going to hit on our draft picks. And those guys are going to grow into the system we have in place. And they're going to develop and get better. And, and at the core of the issue here for the Bulls is that those draft picks just did not pan out. They just weren't that good. Marketing is not as good as they wanted him to be. Kobe White, he's still young, but he has not been uh, as good as they wanted him to be. Denzel Valentine. Uh, I mean, these type of, of players that Wendell Carter Jr., you mentioned him. Uh, when, when you're trying to figure out why the Bulls have been stuck in place, there you go. The draft picks didn't pan out the way they wanted them to. So instead of now having draft picks because you traded those away, you are banking on, all right, Vucevic is going to be really good in this system, uh, and they're going to develop uh, together, he and Levine. Okay, you know, maybe so. The the part where I would give Arturis and Mark Eversley the benefit of the doubt here is that they hired Billy Donovan. And, Hoda, you and I have been on this for months. Uh, he is a solid, solid coach. Uh, he has won both in college and in the pros. Uh, not a finals yet, but uh, he's won at a high level uh, a lot of games. And I think that he can develop a roster. And, and going back in time, I mean, that's that was another huge misstep by the Garn Pax front office because they hired Fred and they knew pretty quickly that Fred wasn't the guy. And they hired Boylan. And I think everybody else around that organization knew he wasn't the guy, but Mike really liked him, uh, and it seemed like Pax liked him. Well, you know, that's on them, because uh, those teams weren't winning. So uh, this is this is where uh, we're going to find out if a new philosophy has changed things, because Donovan is a solid coach, and they have solid players, but what does that turn into as far as chasing the championship but uh, that's still where i have my doubts but yeah. let's see what else happens over the course of the summer and beyond now uh, all i know is that if pax and gar were still in place they would have extended out wendell and laurie and say hey this is going to be our new you know Derek, luol and joe kim i'm just t- like that's how they would have done it they, they that instead of looking at it for what it was where wendell was missing so many games right Otto Porter missing so many games, all that because of injury. I mean, they got they just cut the fat off this team. It was like, you know what? You guys are not part of our future. Get out. That's that's really different for the Bulls because usually they hold the hold those pieces, right? So so now next will be marketing because marketing now is coming off the bench, and so yeah. it's 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 you know, and also Kobe White needs to watch, watch his back too. They need a point guard badly on this team, and they also got to find themselves a power forward for the future. Look, you you just have to try to get yourself in the mix. You're not Brooklyn, you're not Philadelphia, you know, you're not the Lakers, but you've got to be able to start somewhere. So I'll, you know, at for at the time being, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna see what they're gonna do next, but that's a sea change from what we've seen in the Bulls the last decade plus. No question. 
And, so. and this is where, again, if we're breaking down the new look roster, this is where I've always had my doubts about Levine. I still have my doubts about, about Levine, even though I acknowledge that he's gotten better and he's uh, become more efficient. And I think he's trying defensively. The difference, though, and this is why I've said it's JV Jimmy hoodie. When Jimmy was on the team, you knew he was going to give you uh, effort and he was going to be a difference maker at times on both ends of the floor. And as great of an offensive player as Zach is, I, I just don't know if I would commit 200 mil over the next five years because that's what it's going to take and that's what he, he wants. And certainly there are plenty of people around the league that think he's going to get that, whether it comes to the Bulls or a max offer from somewhere else. It, it's just that I, I'm, I'm very uncertain uh, if, if I would be willing to make that commitment. It's why I, I would have uh, pushed to, to trade him now under the current deal that he's in, because I hear the argument, well, you can't lose that kind of asset. You can't lose that asset. No doubt. Okay. But the, the other, the flip side of that is you trade the asset when the asset is most beneficial to you. And people say, well, you could still trade him if he's on a max deal. Uh, and my point is, yes, that is also true. But if you try and trade him when he's making 40 plus million, the, the view changes. Uh, you, you're seeing it through a different lens. When you're trying to trade him when he's making 20 and he's still got another year and a half left, you're going to get a hell of a lot more. It's kind of what the Magic did with Vucevic. So obviously from a distance, it looks like the new front office believes in Zach and they believe he's going to get much better. And and like I've said plenty of times, if, if he does, I'm happy to shake his hand again and tell him congratulations, just like I did in Vegas when he signed that contract. But uh, I am very skeptical that a Levine-led team, now with Vucevic as the number two guy, mm -hmm. uh, is really going to push for anything in the East. So here's a question that no one's going to ask you. How about this? So, Nick, does LaMarcus Aldridge, now with Brooklyn, realize that he's not going to get any run? Like, <laughs> like, it's an adjustment, right? Like, for a guy that was solid in Portland, in which with San Antonio, that it just... It just never worked out. You thought it was going to be a seamless transition from Robinson to Duncan to Aldridge, and it just, from jump, you, we could talk to Michael C. Wright about it. It just wasn't going to work, right? right? So does Aldridge, do you think Aldridge can adjust to realize that with Harris, Harris's shooting ability, Katie, Kyrie, Blake Griffin, all the other players on this team, does he realize that, yeah, you may win a championship, but you really won't be a part of it? If he doesn't, I have no idea why he signed their hoodie. Uh, if he wants to win a ring, he better. Uh, he better understand that. Because this is another topic that you and I have gone through through the years. I think so many people get hung up, especially in the NBA, on the name brand of a player. Uh, and this always comes into more focus during... This all did I lose you? No, go right ahead. Oh, oh, oh. This always comes into more focus during the buyout market. And fans go, oh my gosh, Blake Griffin, and oh my gosh, LaMarcus Aldridge. And the issue to me is, I mean, 
these guys are not the players they once were. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so obvious. They're not the players uh, that they used to be. So uh, with Aldridge, I, I think he could still help, and, and we've seen this plenty of times. A veteran can still help win a playoff team a game or two maybe in the postseason, but uh, this is not a star in his prime coming to join a bunch more uh, stars who who are really gearing up for a, a finals run. This is uh, a bench player or a player who's not going to see a lot of minutes down the stretch uh, who needs to fill in a championship. Have you seen the beef between Stephen A. Smith and Russell Westbrook? Uh, I've, I've read the cliff notes. I have not seen the full clips, uh, but... Uh, I have seen the bulk of what has been said. Well, I saw what Russell Westbrook said without using Stephen A. Smith's name, and he pretty much said that, you know, a championship or lack thereof does not define me, that he does so many things outside of the community, you know, for the community, which he really does, wherever he goes, whatever city he plays in, which is true. And there was, I guess, comments from Stephen A. Smith pretty much saying, you know, you, you, we know that you uh, have all these individual accomplishments, but where's the championship? And, you know, it, it's an interesting topic. I, I would say that, you know, it's funny. We don't get on Jim Kelly or Dan Marino for not winning a championship. We, we mention it, but we don't consider them bums or we don't consider them less than because they didn't win a championship. You know, you can go to any bar in South Florida. Someone will tell you that Dan Marino is still the greatest to never win a championship, and that's okay. Charles Barkley in NBA circles. Barkley, one of the best players. Iverson, one of the best players, never won a championship. So, if what I mean, from Russell West, Westbrook's standpoint, we don't talk about him very often. Now that he's in Washington, how do you look at his career? And how do you look at his career if he doesn't win a championship? How do you view it? An unbelievable, uh, unbelievably athletic player, uh, a, a a smart player, uh, a guy who makes his teams better but you're right this and this 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 conversation has a lot of layers to it because russell westbrook is a really 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 good player is going to the hall of fame there's no doubt in my mind but there there is a a shift on whether guys want to ring or not has he won and i'm i couldn't tell you i couldn't pinpoint exactly when that shift happened but you are absolutely right i think that's why russ chafed the way he did (laughs) why he pushed back on Stephen a because i think he sees the writing that's on the wall at least in the short term Uh, unless he goes ring chasing i i don't know when it's gonna happen for him uh but i i don't know when that happened but it it absolutely is like a huge asterisk now for players Players are looking around going, oh, did you win or not? Fans are looking around going, did you win or not? The media, etc. The only thing I can point to maybe, maybe, and why there's so much of a fervor on it is the money in that a lot of the, uh, these these mega star uh, players in the NBA are making 40, 45, 50 million, uh, depending on the deal. And I think that has changed the narrative, maybe, or the dynamic around how fans view a certain player, especially if they haven't won. But I I don't have a good answer on that because 
something has occurred in the last 20 years or so. And I think the Marino and Kelly uh, components are huge because Russ and the Thunder and KD and, and Harden, they went to that one finals and everybody thought they'd be back and, and they had their chances, but it, it didn't happen. And it's such a huge knock now uh, on players when they haven't at least gone to uh, and made regular finals appearances and then, of course, won it. So uh, it's it's a fascinating conversation. Uh, but as far as Russ goes, uh, he's a Hall of Famer and one of the best to do it in his era. Uh, and for him, that's what you have to hang on to when you haven't won. All right. So now that Dame Lillard is not going to win the MVP, your pick, <laughs> can I sell you on Jokic for MVP? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What does that look like? Uh, it looks like a, a big party <laughs> in, uh, in, uh, in Serbia. In, uh, in Jokic, Serbian. Yes, I think so, yes. Yeah, yes. I, I, so I, I think there's going to be a huge party because I think he is going to do it. And I say that because, Hoodie, if Jokic is playing in a bigger market, and that is a huge part of Jokic as the MVP as the, on that conversation. If he's playing in a bigger market, I don't think there's much question. I mean, Jokic has been unbelievable this season. And uh, he's gotten his teammates involved. He's, he's been one of the best big men passers that I've seen in a long, long time. But uh, he's scoring. He's doing everything that team needs. And you just don't hear his name pop up because there's just not a lot of attention around the Nuggets. There's not a lot of attention on the Nuggets in Denver. <laughs> I mean, let's let's be clear here. This this team just does not have a lot of hype that surrounds it night to night. The people who know Jokic's basketball worth and appreciate his game are the ones that are watching the NBA on a nightly basis. They're the players and coaches involved. Uh, and and when you see him, you know how much of a difference-making player he is. So uh, I, I think that he, if he continues at this pace, doesn't get injured, and he finishes out the season and the Nuggets can make a little bit more of a push, uh, he's the guy. It's him. All right, what about James Harden? <laughs> oh, man. Wouldn't that be something? What a That's, story that would be. That is a true pros pro radio follow-up right there. <laughs> I just want you to know. That was a perfectly timed. Blip. It's like uh, the Tony Kukoc, the waiter. Just, here you go. Uh, what about Harden? I, Harden believes so. Harden's had an incredible year. But you and I both know that with the MVP especially, it is so much about narrative. And I remember having this conversation with you right as the season was starting. The narrative surrounding James Harden at the beginning of the year was, oh, man, this guy's kind of a jerk. He's he's just stopped playing. He gained some weight. He's turning his back on Houston. Whether that was fair or not, that was part of that narrative. So I think it, it is going to be a struggle for Harden, who just stopped playing. Uh, I remember that Draymond quote from a couple months ago because he was going off on on the treatment of Andre Drummond, but he said, I don't think anybody would argue that James Harden was, you know, giving it his all <laughs> at the end there in Houston. Uh, I, I think in that regard, no matter how well Harden plays, I mean, they would have to just 
be continue to be dominant and him to put up 35-40 every single night, which isn't out of the question. But I think the narrative in that regard is much, much more behind Jokic. All right, sir. Lastly, I want to ask you about the Warriors because I'm still trying to find out whether or not they can get one of these spots to get into the playoffs. They're right now 10th as we record this. So a couple of things. First of all, let's talk about the Kevin Durant fallout with Steve Kerr last week. This whole thing where Steve Kerr hears uh, someone takes a quote from a podcast. It's funny because I was listening to that podcast. I'm a fan of that Ringer podcast with Roger Bell. Uh, I, I and Logan Murdoch because they you know it's a good podcast because you get like a, a Darren Williams talking about his days with Jerry Sloan and he told the story of like Jerry Sloan wanting to fight Jerry Stackhouse in the Utah Jazz locker room like what the hell he's like just like are you really you want to fire you want to fight Stack you know and there was that controversy of Darren Williams. He was never going to be the point guard that Jerry Sloan wanted. You remember, he got him out of there, got him traded. So there's a lot of good stories out of that podcast. And so um, and so to, to hear that live, you know, as I heard it in my ear, I'm like, oh, that's – it's the same thing I've heard about Durant. Like, you know, hey, you know, when Steve Kerr pretty much said I had a great time or enjoyed my, t- my time, uh, you know, with a bad team, I didn't buy that. But I never thought it was a shot at Durant, and of course, you know it, it was. It, people ran with it. It became a big story, and Steve Kerr got pissed off. How did you read that story as it came across, and Steve Kerr being upset about what was being said? What, what did you think about it? It's it, the reason why Kerr came across the way he did, hoodie, is because Kevin responded on Twitter. Yeah, and the Warriors, having lived through that final season day-to-day are so, so cautious about how that relationship is perceived, not only to the general public and the fan base, but how that relationship is perceived uh, in Kevin Durant's mind. And that is why it, the the initial tweet, uh, and it's just, it's, it's almost comical to me in context, that the tweet that, Caught so much, so so much attention. Caught Kevin's attention was by uh, Drew Schiller, and uh, the context here is uh, Drew hosts a uh, essentially a, a Warriors fan broadcast that comes on uh, NBC Sports Bay Area after the post game show ends. and And I like Drew, but he, he he seems like a nice guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit uh, since I've come out here, but Drew is so thirsty for likes and retweets on Twitter. It's unbelievable. Uh, and that that really got him into trouble because he wanted to tweet out and, and get everybody to, to read his tweet uh, about what Kerr said. But the fatal mistake here was that Kerr never mentioned Kevin's name. And uh, the Warriors and Kerr especially understood that as soon as Kevin responded, it became a bigger deal. By Kerr responding and calling out Drew, that just gave it more air. But I think he was so pissed off <laughs> by it being – it wasn't even taken out of context. He, he, he added <laughs> – Drew did. He added Kevin's name uh, to, to something that that Kerr hadn't said. And, and I can only tell you, again, in my experience in the last year and a half, Hoodie, uh, Kerr said the same thing like 10 different times, how much he enjoyed – 
coaching that team last year as bad as they were because of the slog of that season, because of the injuries, because of the drama surrounding Kevin, because of uh, the ups and downs of that uh, year and in the pressure that comes with trying to win back-to-back-to-back championships. So uh, there was a lot of of uh, context, a lot of different layers there. Uh, But the reason why uh, Kerr felt it necessary to say and do what he did was because the Warriors are willing to do anything they can to protect uh, that relationship. Not even that Kevin would come back down the line. They want to protect the way in which they are perceived. And that goes far deeper than just Kevin Durant and his legacy in the Bay. That goes to any free agent down the line. They want to shine a light out here that says, we will treat you the best possible way we can in every possible setting that there is. And we will defend what you helped us accomplish, whatever that is. So uh, the Warriors have made it clear that they want to kind of be this this haven for star players in the future whenever is possible. But uh, there are so many lingering raw feelings, I think, on both sides for Kevin and, and for the Warriors because they wanted that relationship to continue that anytime something like this pops back into the news cycle, uh, you're going to get some of the reactions that you did. Yeah, but Bob Myers did take a shot at Durant at the parade. Uh, we, remind me of the quote. Well, you just you remember of the parade, right? The last time, the last time the Warriors won the championship, it just kind of like it was awkward as hell. It, yes. Right? You do recall this, right? Absolutely. The, the, the quotes that Durant told you that he felt like it was the Warriors with Kevin Durant or four plus one or whatever, like, but you remember the parade where it was the, he, it's kind of, don't remember the quote, just a side swipe at Durant where everyone was like, oh, I, I thought that was, that was Fitz. I thought it was uh, it was Bob Fitzgerald. No, was trying to tell a couple. Of no, no, I know. I think that was. I think no. I think that was Warriors brass. Now Fitzgerald. Now Fitzgerald will say shit. He'll he'll say stuff out of nowhere. Like he he won't he won't hold back. I know Fitzgerald a little bit. He, I mean, ask him. Talk to him about the Notre Dame Fighting Irish sometime. The oh, football yeah. team. Oh yeah. Yeah, Fitz loves. Oh yeah. oh my God, Bob. Yeah, he doesn't care. He's got a lot of talk show hosts in him. He doesn't care about what you think. Um, but, no, I thought it, it was always contentious. And as I told you during that time, I said, Nick, I love Kevin Durant. Why doesn't he understand that most people actually love this guy? He'd rather fight with the Twitter egg with the two followers than to just take in the adulation. Now, I would say 99% of the, of the people love him as a basketball player. But he leans toward Lee, gets into that negative and that mire, that muck. And no, no, does, hey, you went to the Warriors win a championship. There's no shade. I'll just never understand it about him. I guess he's a young guy, like a lot of young people. But I just, dude, we, I love Kevin. Who doesn't love Kevin as a player when he's healthy? Well, and, and Hoodie, what you just outlined and what you just described, that, that's how so many people in this Warriors organization feel. Because as a player, I, I mean, my gosh, they, they knew. That, that is the one thing I always tell people. Uh, the Kerrs and Stephs and Draymonds and Clays, they knew full well just how talented Kevin Graham was. <laughs> they, there always was an understanding. I don't think anybody took that for granted ever. 
They knew how incredible of a basketball player uh, that he was and is still. What they could felt the need to respond the way that he did, and and what made him tick. And what's saddest to me, Hoodie, and I again another thing that you and I have hit on for a long time now. If I learned anything being around Kevin Durant, it was a reminder of the human aspect of this league, of this sport, of a pro athlete in general. And I've said this before. I've, I've learned this from two athletes covering them over time, Derrick Rose and Kevin Durant. Because I think people put these guys on pedestals because of what they can do on a basketball court. But they forget or, or choose not to acknowledge they are human beings. They're human beings. They've got feelings just like you and I. Uh, they deal with stuff behind the scenes just like you and I do all the time. And uh, that was the, the, the thing that, that makes me sad on a human level is that Kevin hates, hates when people try to go, oh, I know what, how he's feeling and, and why doesn't he just move forward and try to analyze what he's thinking. But by responding, and by feeding into the whether it's the social media beast or or what's said on a talk show, he's feeding into the thing that he hates the most. It's just it's like a cycle that he can't get out of. So uh, it, it there are there are so many different directions to go off this, but uh, the issues that have popped up recently in the last couple of weeks, those are the same kind of issues that at least the Warriors were trying to figure out all along. What makes this guy have to respond and what can we do to help him uh, feel more comfortable and happier in a certain setting and and I, I i frankly don't think anybody has the answers to those questions uh, as much as they've tried let's see here uh, hold on now now there's the there's the quote there from bob myers he was now it's a joke but you know durant's sensitive right it goes back to the parade you were there nick June of 2018. Weren't you there? No, no, no. That pre- I was still with you. That predates me. <laughs> okay. That's, that's why. All right. Okay. So he says, so sometimes you don't negotiate. I'd love to have him for 10 years. Kevin Durant, look what he did for us last year. Uh, he did a great service for us. This is what Bob Myers said. He's earned the right to sign whatever deal he wants to. And then right there, Fitzgerald, right there with the microphone, he says, you know, you know, this afternoon Myers was asked about the comment during the parade speech. And Meyer says, uh, that was just for the media. He can't have everything. <laughs> and then Meyer... Yeah, I, I knew there was some... <laughs> there, bro, but... Wait just See, a minute. what happens, though, but it just ties in everything you, that you and I just discussed. <laughs> Anytime that any of this stuff is mentioned, it is like reliving a breakup. It's like going back in time and picking at the scab and... And wondering if if this hadn't happened, maybe that had happened. And oh man, if I didn't handle things this way, maybe uh, we'd still be together. This is why this thing, three years later, people are still talking about because uh, it, it it just it captivated everybody's attention. It, it was the super team of super teams with KD and Steph and Clay and Draymond, and 
And that it, that is very interesting because all those feelings that pop up when a tweet comes out and Kerr responds and, and Kevin and the Warriors are, are stuck back together in the media, this is all the kind of stuff that comes back to the forefront. And uh, now that you play that, <laughs> I remember I remember those awkward ah. jokes and I remember that they they are still linger whenever this kind of story appears. It was pointed out to Myers that he said during that time that last year's speech that Steph Curry, as a free agent in 2017, could, could, could have whatever he wants. And Myers says, yeah, that was different. He's been here. <laughs> Everybody lives and learns, hoodie, but uh, anybody who's listening to us knows that that breakup, <laughs> that, that breakup, it can really hurt and it can really linger. And that's another example of exactly what what we're uh, breaking down there. Steve Kerr also chimed in, if you listen very closely, says, yep, mid-level. <laughs> for Durant, mid-level. <laughs> that like with me now, if it's me and you, you know he's kidding. But for Durant, it's deep-seated, man. But it just—it's interesting. It's just this is why I love this league because it's just there's so much drama. You just don't get this in baseball. You, and, well, on top of that, you know, like, this is what the league's been missing the first few months of the year, truly. And I can hear fans saying, oh, "I only want to watch the games. I don't care about all that other crap." This is what makes the NBA go. It is a nonstop, 12 months a year now, soap opera. And when you don't have the reporters down on the ground talking to players, and you don't have the environment of fans in there, and there's not that interest level night to night that maybe there's been in years past because of the world that we're in and the pandemic that we're still going through, this is what the NBA needs uh, to continue to have success. Exactly these kinds of things. So uh, in that regard for uh, the day-to-day of interest in the league, uh, this this wasn't the worst storyline that appeared. But uh, it speaks to exactly what you said because the NBA is better off when they have these kind of storylines that that uh, appear back on the surface, uh, even if it's uncomfortable, uh, in this case, for the Warriors and and rehashing their relationship with Kevin. All right, we'll send this to the bottom line on ESPN. Fridell Jokic for MVP. We'll put that out there for everyone to hear. All right, he changes his pick, folks. I'm behind it. I'm behind it. Let's go. And then then when Jokic, uh, you know, maybe sits down for a few weeks, resting for the playoffs, you behind Harden. So we'll be looking forward to that change. It's going to happen. So I look forward to that. Uh, all right, my man. <laughs> Switching up on us. Well, thank you, my friend, as always. Always. Talk to you. Oh, so good to hear from Nick Friedel. Covers the NBA for ESPN and ESPN.com. Have I told you about DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook? It's America's top-rated sportsbook app. It is putting new customers in the center of the tournament action. Bet $1 in any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. It's just that simple. Pick any college basketball team that's in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning their next game. Download the top-rated DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code WMVP when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win. 
That's code WMVP for a limited time only with DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Illinois only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has got a gambling problem, crisis, counseling, or referral services, can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Thank you so much for supporting and downloading the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings. So good to be back in the chair talking basketball with you. Still to come on this podcast, we will bring in an expert to tell us how to bet on the Final Four. It's been wild, hasn't it? Wild Final Four, wild NCAA tournament. We'll get some numbers in on that as we move forward here. Hope that you're enjoying the podcast. Please share this with someone else. Tell them that John the Hood loves basketball and Hood is basketball. Indeed. The Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. I'm back Thursday, April 1st on the Cap and J-Hood Morning Show that I'm a part of because I'm J-Hood. Thanks for listening.